You're listening to the Hunter Conservationist Podcast. Uh, so this was the second year that we did a wild Christmas dinner. Uh, had 20, 20 something people over and uh, a bunch of of our wild game and fish that everybody had got over the last uh, year or so. Maybe just uh, give people a little bit of an idea of what what we did, what we had on the menu. Wow. So it was pretty awesome, even just the display, the whole idea of the charcuterie board and the all on the logs that you cut into slabs. And um, yeah, we had uh, halibut from Jake and salmon from Jake and oh yeah not some backstrap from Carly's deer and my deer and Mark your deer and and, um, morel mushrooms mushrooms we picked in the fires two two summers ago yeah and duck duck poppers ducks that Curtis had got got ducks yeah, it was just a beautiful, beautiful looking meal. And Had uh, a wild game bird liver pate. Yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic. I, I know we uh, we certainly impressed my parents. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I remember my the highlight of the night, I think, for me was my dad saying, I'm buying a gun. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's a, he's, he's a uh, self-imposed bow hunter only, yeah. which means he gets... Uh, something once every seven years. <laughs> Your dad's <laughs> joke always was is it yeah. took him longer to become a doctor than it did to get his first elk with a bow. So yeah. yeah. Wasn't it vice versa? Yeah. It took him longer to get his first elk with a bow yes. than it did to become, to a, become doctor. a doctor. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, and it's <laughs> hard to shoot ducks with a, with a bow as well. <coughs> and we had huckleberry pavlova. Yeah. yeah. All huckleberries we picked. The cool thing about it too is... Uh, well, other than just us and your dad, I mean, like everybody there weren't hunters. So this was kind of one of the only times of the year that they get exposed to what what wild game mm-hmm. tastes like. And it was kind of, we talked about it before, it was kind of like our Christmas gift to everybody, friends and family and stuff. But I, I also think it's really cool to do. I think it's something that <coughs> every hunter and angler should do it doesn't even have to be at christmas time at different times of the year is is to have people over um in their friend or family circle that aren't hunters and cook up something and introduce it to them i think a lot of uh a lot of um stigmas and and uh mindsets and stuff about what hunting is and what it isn't and stuff kind of like goes away when you're sitting having a meal and kind of talking about it and realizing how good it is so well, and, and so many people say they don't like wild meat because it's so gamey, but there's nothing nothing gamey about when you prepare it in a gourmet style. There's there's absolutely no gaminess to anything. Yeah, I mean, everything has its own unique flavor. I mean, it is a wild duck. It is a white-tailed deer. It's going to taste like a wild duck. It's going to taste like a wild deer. But in the sense of it being off-putting, Right. I think that's probably the biggest barrier that you break down when you have people that aren't uh, that aren't hunters have it. They realize how how good this stuff is. So 
And I, and I think even if they don't decide they want to become hunters by going, wow, the food's really good, I think it, it just reflects well on everybody that is a hunter out there by, by having that support. So It was a great way to kind of encapsulate the year of hunting too. You know, it seemed like there was an aspect of every animal that we took pretty much uh, in the last year. Yeah, 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 and fish, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does seem like the time to celebrate, quote-unquote, the harvest is like at Christmas. You know, the regular hunting season's over, where normally we think of, like, the harvest celebration, you know, being in the fall associated when all the crops are in and agriculture. And, uh, and, and I think Christmas time is a great time to, to do that from a wild harvest perspective is to celebrate it that's that's the time of the year yeah there was lots of people taking pictures uh, of the display and we had comments like oh, it was kind of the one of the best best food displays they'd ever seen so people can go on our social media if they want to see some of the pictures of what we're talking about but yeah it's a full full wild christmas dinner and just colorful you know everything about it was was colorful and beautifully presented. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely yeah. the food a, a was on feast meat. for your eyes too. There was fir boughs and pine and cones and duck feathers and kind of all arranged in in amongst it and, and sprinklings yeah. of pomegranate too to pop out some of the red. Those wild yeah. pomegranate, they're the yeah. hardest <laughs> to get. <laughs> like if you can draw a tag for one of those things, like you better take holidays and. Work hard <laughs> to get a pomegranate, especially in the mountains. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> lots of eggs. Uh, well, hello everybody. It's uh, Mark Hall here, and uh, happy New Year to everybody. You'll be listening on uh, the first of January, yeah, and uh, twenty twenty. So this is an episode uh, uh, twenty nineteen year in review. We're kind of going to look back on a few things. We just kind of talked about our Christmas dinner uh, that we had with the family uh, last last week, and so. Yeah, we're just going to, the whole hunter conservationist crew sitting around here, we're just going to kind of go through a bunch of things, look back on last year, so. Yeah, hey, Curtis here as well. I'm Erin, and uh, I am an editor and have been a, on a few of the podcasts, but really just enjoy listening and learning. And I'm Carly, and it's my first time on the podcast, and Mostly just enjoy going out hunting and fishing with the crew. Yeah, I'm Jake. I'm uh, Carly's boyfriend, and uh, that's more than <laughs> more than that. But uh, <laughs> I'm a new hunter. Um, I'm a fishing guide in Haida Gwaii, and I'm uh, really love the the outdoors, hunting and fishing. Cool. Thanks, everybody. Um, so we launched our first podcast on uh, July first last year. Um, it was a little bit of pain getting there i think yeah there was well we were what recorded it in april yeah late just, late just april a, just after yeah. yeah turkey season was over yeah, and then it was it was july before we finally got everything sorted out and, and trying, uh, trying to figure out how to get things uh uploaded to the different platforms and released and yeah pick the dates yeah, that was a, that was a bit of a challenge, but uh, we did did get it out on the first. We got twelve episodes um, released in the second half of twenty nineteen. Uh, we're sitting at 
I uh, just looked the other day, just under 5,000 total downloads across 12 episodes. Uh, I'm pretty happy yeah. with that. It's We're getting downloads in every Canadian province and territory and quite a few different regions of the world, actually. It's pretty interesting yeah. to see where some yeah. of that comes from. And the cool thing that I really like is about, about 50% of our downloads um, are coming from Canada which is great because that's kind of the target audience that, you know, we're trying to reach. This is a Canadian podcast about, you know, conservation science and responsible hunting in Canada. So I'm glad, really glad to see that that, uh, you know, ha half of our, uh, our listenership is coming from, from Canada. Um, any thoughts on our first 12 podcasts? Oh, it's been a lot of fun. Been all over the place. Edmonton and Saskatoon and Revelstoke and yeah it's been a big learning curve especially the first five getting things sorted out on the technical the te side of the things. technical side and just just the the whole process yeah yeah but, uh, so no it's been it's been a lot of fun Curtis is uh, often quite quiet on the podcasts and he pops in couple comments throughout them but for them for everything else Curtis is the tech guy that does absolutely everything behind the scenes so his job is quite um, it's imperative to the whole podcasting um, platform that we're that we're doing and uh, spends he spends many many hours late at night coming through and and uh, making sure the podcasts are ready to go and uploaded for release so Thanks, Curtis, for all of that amazing work that you do behind the scenes that doesn't, you know, everybody can hear Mark and, and the guests speaking and stuff. But, um, yeah, you really you really have an important, important job, and you're the reason that it all gets gets done. So five, five podcasts, it took you to kind of learn how, how it all fits, gets a oh, little bit still, more smoother. Still, and still learn, and every, every episode's different. There's always <laughs> usually some little hiccup or something goes whether it's during the actual recording with stuff or when i'm trying to get it onto the software to edit the sound or upload it or and for whatever reason you've got an entire support team behind you so that if the 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 day the podcast is released if it's not there at seven in the morning or whatever your buddies start texting you oh saying yeah like, hey knucklehead yeah, I, I where's get, the episode <laughs> i get i get i get flack from a, a few <laughs> friends if the podcast's not up they're like hey man <laughs> what the <laughs> hell so, so yeah you bring your own um your own hearing crew back into and yeah yeah but i i echo what curtis said i mean it's been uh i think learning curve is is the great thing and for me the learning curve has been um what i've learned from our guests and uh, we've had some fabulous guests on the first 12 episodes uh, it's just amazed amazes me um, how much people know, you know, about particular subjects, um, you know, especially the, the scientists that we had on the show. They know a lot. They know the science behind things, and they are really good speakers. They're engaging yeah. speakers. They know how to tell a story. They, they, they tell things in a very um, easy-to-understand you know, kind of way of talking there sometimes, you know, there, I remember a few of the episodes are, you know, they're talking, um, you know, kind of statistical terms and stuff like that. But I think for the most part, their messages, um, you know, are very clear, easy to, to get a, get a, 
crossed and a lot of people have you know I've heard from people you know how much they they enjoy those they enjoy the podcasts and um, as, as a you know they're learning stuff by listening to it and and that's great that's one of my goals is I want people to learn listening to the podcast um, but I think people are learning um, because we're learning as well um, we're asking questions and we're learning from these people and that's a really exciting part about about the podcast as well um, there's a few people that have helped us get to this point um, that is kind of want to recognize you know and in, in providing you know advice and support uh, getting us started um, along the way behind the scenes providing information uh, bouncing things back and forth and um, so there's you know and even just sort of being mentors people that have inspired me um, based on what they're doing their way of looking at the world um, their way of looking at, at science and conservation and responsible hunting in this country and and they've sort of helped shape shape who who I am and and how how the podcast has kind of come together so um, first of all, I'd like to thank um, Dr. Adam Ford from UBC Okanagan. Um, great, great guy. Um, he was part of a focus group we held in Kelowna um, last January. Uh, Jesse Zeman, um, he's, he's been a big uh, inspiration and uh, source of information. Um, our friend Jeff Berdusco um, in Cranbrook, he was on one of the first Ep episode, episode three. three on raising kids in the outdoors. Uh, Dylan Ayers from Eat Wild BC down in Vancouver, um, huge inspiration. He has so much passion for getting people into hunting that didn't grow up in hunting families. Um, a really, a really great ethic that he's installing in people, and, and his passion has really uh, helped inspire me, um, you know, to take this forward. Um, uh, Mateen Hasami um, from University of Montana. You, UBC Okanagan. He was part of our focus group last year. Great guy. Um, Going to be a, a world-class scientist when he's when he's done his school. Uh, he had a great um, great perspective from kind of that younger younger demographic in, in our focus group. And Dr. Clayton Lamb uh, from from Fernie. Um, he was helped us launch episode one oh, on yeah, grizzly yeah. bear conservation he was not dr clayton lamb at the time but since then he has uh, defended his his phd and um, now he's dr dr clayton lamb well congratulations clayton dr yeah. clayton oh yeah he was he was in the focus group too yep yeah, yeah that's he, right he yeah. uh he he uh um patched in via via yeah. uh, online uh, Kelly Molnar and Mike Pedersen uh, from the Rookie Hunter uh, podcast. Um, both those guys have been uh, both an inspiration and a source of uh, advice. They were part of our focus group that helped us uh, put a lot of these pieces uh, in place. And as well, Mike Pedersen, um, he's a professional sound technician by, by trade and basically everything that you're listening to, every piece of equipment, every wire that's here, um, has been because Mike has helped us um, get uh, our equipment, uh, how to use it, uh, how to you know do some mastering on our podcast and how to launch it. I think I was yeah. trying to figure out how to get our first episode. And it's like, why won't iTunes pick it up? And it's like, yeah. like I was uh, texting Mike back and forth, and he's he he helped us through that. So thanks to all those people. Um, you've been been uh, a big help in, in getting us to where we are now and as well all the guests that came on um, everybody that came on you know the 12 episodes thanks to everybody um, 
been a big uh, a big part of the success. I know you got to take time out of your day and your life and your schedules and stuff to be with us, but uh, I think everybody that's listened to all the episodes um, are definitely uh, thankful of that. Um, I'm just going to jump into something here. I kind of said on social media just before Christmas I was going to do this, uh, so I'm just going to kind of cover. So there was a... a CBC article, news article came out just just before um, Christmas and it kind of caused a sort of a big fervor in the hunting community here in British Columbia. So I just wanted to kind of touch on some of those things. Um, you know, the, the title of the article was Proposed Hunting Regulations Reveal a Bleak Picture for Some BC Wildlife. And yeah, I mean, even, you know, right off the bat there, I mean, just that... Uh, you know, just the, the title um, is, you know, fairly um, loaded, you know, in a sense that, you know, I don't, I don't like the, you know, the tone of it, you know, you know, a bleak picture for, for some wildlife. Yeah, there's some conservation struggles in BC right now. There's some trends that are of a, of a big concern, but I mean, I can honestly say I'll never say that British Columbia wildlife has a bleak outlook. Um, if you want to talk about what bleak was for wildlife you need to go back to the late 1800s and early 1900s in this country when we had pretty much wiped out bison out of this country um, where we were market hunting and driving caribou populations down um, we had pretty much almost wiped out antelope in this country murs and turs on the atlantic coast and different waterfowl like i mean that that was a bleak time in wildlife history in this country um there is some challenges right now, like I said, but I would never, never go as far as saying bleak. Um, there's a lot of people uh, working on a lot of good stuff, and um, you know, I think it's it's a time we're going to look back on, and uh, I think we're going to look back on it when when you know the future does change. But you know, I mean, that's part of the problem with the media. Um, they write these articles. Maybe they have good intentions. They don't. Sometimes, you know, they're trying to sell um, stories, and so they tend to use these flamboyant. Um, provocative, you know, headlines. They're they're typically trying to excite, you know, emotions and irrational thinking in people and get everybody all fired up and, you know, and mad at, at, at each other. I know the people that were quoted uh, in those articles that provided some of the information, like Jesse, um, I talked to him afterwards about it and he was frustrated in the sense that some of the things, the key messages that he wanted to get across about the funding problem we have for wildlife management in BC was not the messages that were picked up and published in the article. They picked up a few comments and things that he said about hunting regulations and stuff and didn't even touch on, you know, the big picture issue that I know is near and dear to what Jesse and the BC Wildlife Federation are, are working on. I mean, if you want to talk to a guy and say, let's talk about hunting regulations and changing them as a tool to fix declining wildlife populations, Jesse's like like magnets, you know, where you push one and the other one just repels away. It's it's he, he can talk to you for hours and just tell you how tweaking hunting regulations is not going to cause wildlife populations to respond. So, you know, it's frustrating to see people that know that much and put their heart into it, you know, get quoted in, in the media and stuff. And, and um, you know, it's not the messages that they're they're trying to communicate. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the way the media is nowadays. But, you know, there's there's a few things uh, in that articles that, you know, just to do on hunting regulations that, you know, I wanted to touch on. And, um, you know, there was a couple statements in there that said, you know, by by the province imposing tighter restrictions, you know, on hunters will, 
will help um, rebound some of the wildlife populations and that um, often when uh, hunting regulation changes are made, they see quick responses in wildlife populations. And I just want to talk to that a little bit because I just don't think those are defensible um, statements based on, you know, what we've seen around the province, um, you know, with some of these wildlife populations that are struggling. But I think the key thing, you know, British Columbia has got this, I don't know if other jurisdictions are like this, but they've got this infatuation with hunting regulations. Um, it, everybody gets wound up at the same time every year. They get talking about hunting regulations like they're, they're the be-all, end-all of fixing everything in, in, uh, in wildlife management. And, you know, I just, just personally don't believe that. So it's like, what are hunting regulations? Like, what's, what's their purpose? And, uh, you know, basically I see hunting regulations as the rule book for hunting. And they address kind of like, you know, three key things. One, they address hunting as a means to get food um, so that it's done in an ethical, humane, and safe way. Hunting's done in an ethical, humane, and safe way. And that hunting seasons are set up so that hunting is not the cause of population declines. So that hunting can always be taken, people can harvest and get their food, but the level of animals that hunters are taking are not the cause of population declines. And to me, that's a... Uh, the, one of the key things about modern regulated hunting is, is that's its sole, you know, its primary purpose. Hunting can be used sometimes to reduce populations, um, and so you know seasons are liberalized or you know are opened up because you know the province wants to um, you know reduce populations in a certain area. But uh, I think those happen you know periodically. They're done. They reach the objectives, and then those hunting regulations are usually taken taken out. But to me, the main role of a hunting regulation is to ensure that hunting is not the cause of population declines and. Um, the article kind of seemed to, you know, sort of suggest that, um, you know, the hunting regulations could be used to help recover some of these populations. And, and I just don't see that it's going to. I mean, we all know that in the Selkirks and Purcells this year, um, the last of the mountain caribou disappeared, were removed from that region of British Columbia. Um, those caribou have not been hunted since the 1960s. Um, hunting seasons were closed on them. Um, that didn't affect what ultimately happened to that caribou and we know the story there is that uh, habitat trumps everything else when it comes to uh, to the caribou. Uh, in 1996-97 um, here in southeastern BC in the Kootenays there was a huge mule deer die-off. There was a really severe winter. Mule deer um, crashed um, and they were probably at the lowest um, that they've been for a long time, um, you know, since since modern re record keeping on, on populations. And as, as I know it, the hunting season on mule deer here has been changed four times. I mean, they got rid of the doe season, they shortened the season, they um, put in a four-point restriction on the antlers, um, they put in area closures where, you know, uh, you couldn't use motor vehicles, and we've never seen the mule deer rebound, um, you know, since, since the 1980s. Um, that article, the CBC article, talked about the elk population in the East Kootenays being at about 7,000, and it's it's a little bit lower that from the 2017-2018 season. It's around 65-6700. It's about a 50% decline in the elk population over the last 10 years here in the region we live in. 
back in the early 1980s, uh, based on government information, um, there was about an average 21,000 elk here in the East Kootenays. There may have been as high as 30,000. Part of the problem is, is we had no, or still have no consistent, reliable data set to tell us what the elk population here is in the Kootenays. So they're kind of like guesstimates that are pulled from different sources, different in inventories, different people, different types of studies. But we're sitting, you know, probably around 20,000 elk here in the Kootenays. By the mid-1980s, um, there was an effort to reduce the elk population here in the East Kootenay of BC. Um, there was lots of cow and calf limited entry tags put out. The elk were hunted into mid-December. I think the season went to the 15th of December. They were hunting migratory elk. You know, lots of things that hunters said you should not be doing this to the elk population. And by 2000, um, that elk population here in the Kootenays had been cut in half. And we started to notice migratory problems and behaviors of certain herds in certain areas that the migratory behavior was, was um, being lost and more and more elk were taking up residence uh, in the valley bottom. And again, in about the mid-2000s, um, the province decided that there was too many elk, <clears throat> that the range couldn't sustain the elk population. So they targeted another 20 to 40% reduction of the population. Um, and they achieved that. There was about another 40% reduction in the elk population in the mid-2000s. And by 2017, 2018, we've had the lowest elk population um, that's ever been recorded here in the East Kootenays. Um, that was by design. I mean, they were purposely executed changes of the hunting regulations that were designed to lower the elk population. Um, so going to the six-point antler restriction that we have here, getting ready, you know, um, reducing some cow elk permits, you know, are, are, are things that are being said that are going to increase the population. I mean, the low end of the population now is the government only wants to manage to about 8,500 elk. So you increase the populations here by another 1,500 elk, and that's going to achieve the objective. So, you know, we've gone in since the 1980s from 20 to 30,000 elk somewhere down to saying that a tolerable amount of elk in the East Kootenays is only 8,500 to 11,000 animals. It's it's um, it's it's pretty. That's pretty disheartening. Um, in the central interior of BC, um, moose populations have had four major population crashes. Like, I mean, major being like 50% of the population gone, 50% of the population of that remaining population crashes. They've been adjusting those hunting seasons for decades, you know, like bull, bull antler restrictions, LEH, get rid of the cow tags, shorten the seasons, and they've still never seen a recovery, you know, in those, those moose populations. You know, and they're in the central interior of BC, they're spraying about 40,000 hectares a year of, of forest, um, you know, killing all the deciduous and, and um, willow and stuff um, that are competing with conifer crops, um, you know, and they're seeing these, these big population declines in moose. The CBC article talked about tree clearing as being one of the causes of ungulate declines in the province. And I'm like, tree clearing? I mean, call it what it is. Um, we're talking about clear cutting. Um, and, and followed up by that, they're saying then, you know, these big tree clearing, um, you know, operations are leading to increased predation. And I mean, it's clear cutting. Um, we've had a huge area of the province been attacked by mountain pine beetle, wildfires, 
and those areas have been salvage logged. I mean, they look like moonscapes and, um, you know, it's not tree clearing. We're talking about some of the largest clear cutting operations, you know, in British Columbia's history, if not the world. And, you know, it's impacting wildlife populations. It's got nothing to do with hunting regulations. Changing hunting regulations to try to overcome that way of managing the land is just not going to change things. So, um, you know, another thing that they gleaned off in that CBC article was kind of talking about how these wildfires in the mountain pine beetle epidemic has has been part of the causes of the wildlife population declines. And, you know, again, it's like... The animals in British Columbia are adapted to or actually dependent on large landscape scale fires. And I see this narrative that a lot, you know, that the wildfires are causing these population declines. And it's not. What they're not adapted to is these large scale, you know, salvage operations. And, and, and it's frustrating to see, you know, these narratives continuing out there and for the solution and the fix always to be adjusting and ratcheting hunting down uh, and that to be sort of touted as the thing that's going to recover wildlife populations and um, yeah I mean it's frustrating in 2017 in Montana they shot 30,000 elk uh, or almost 7,000 of those were six-point bulls here in British Columbia in 2017 we harvested a total 2,700 elk um, about 2,500 of those were the Rocky Mountain elk, 100 were the, were the Roosevelt's. Uh, I mean, huge differences between jurisdictions that are so remarkably close together. Um, you know, it's, it's time that we got to take a good solid look at, you know, why things are so different in British Columbia than they are anywhere else in, in the world. And so I think the take-home message here is that... Uh, you know, in 2020, um, when you see these media stories, take them with a grain of salt and recognize that what they're trying to do is to incite, um, you know, sort of these emotional reactions to things. And they tend to do it a, a lot with hunting and wildlife management in the province. They tend to, to make, um, you know, hunting, you know, look bad. Uh, in this case, you know, I'd like to say that you know, hunting is not a cause of decline of wildlife populations in the province, so ratcheting hunting back um, without doing anything else, addressing these other issues that I talked about, it, it's just certainly not, you know, a way forward. So, you know, going forward, I think, uh, I think it's important for everybody to educate yourselves, you know, about what's going on out there uh, uh, on your land. Um, join organizations that are working to change this like you know here in British Columbia the BC Wildlife Federation Backcountry Hunters and Anglers the BC chapter Wild Sheep Society um, of British Columbia I mean these are organizations that are out there advocating for policy advocating for better funding for, for wildlife management um, we were at a meeting uh, just before Christmas of the backcountry hunters and anglers and you know they were like yep there you can go up and you can comment on the hunting regulations um, they're open for public comment the, you know the changes uh, that are coming out in 2020 we're not really that concerned with what the hunting regulations are we're very concerned about this new wildlife management strategy draft that the province has released you can go on our website um, you know, and, and download BHA's response and how they'd like people to comment on it and stuff. And that's progressive. I mean, that's th those are the types of organizations that you should be belonging to. And, and um, you know, 
get out there and hunt and fish. It, buy a hunting license, your money goes to help support conservation. Um, it's still a great pro province. It's freaking awesome out there hunting. Um, take ownership of your public lands and just do whatever you can as an individual, um, you know, to help wildlife. And um, don't get so wound up about these news stories like I just have been so <laughs> I've, been, I've been waiting all christmas yeah 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 nice present whatever i, I gotta in the back i gotta life. get this i gotta get this out of my system so i mean it's frustrating but um but man you know i i think things are still uh amazing here in british columbia I look around like what different people are doing these you know these trips that they're gone up north um, um the rookie hunters did a uh, a big stone sheep trip up north and had a few podcast episodes you know on and stuff and it was just i remember going up there like you know in the 80s and stuff and listening to those guys just talk about the landscape and you know and just how it struck them and how you know uh inspired they were by by the fact that this was their own province i mean it was really really cool this to see that and i think here in british columbia we're still very very lucky with what we have when you look around you know a lot of other jurisdictions uh, we can buy a stone sheep tag any year and go up north and go hunt stone sheep we're the only place in the world with with true stone sheep populations people are paying 40 50 thousand us to come in here for that so we're, we're pretty lucky and hunting's freaking awesome here in british columbia and they taste awesome too <laughs> sure do. that, that was our christmas dinner so um, speaking of tasting awesome, we had another great meal yesterday with some some perch. Eh? That was that was fantastic. That was fun. Maybe yeah. uh, Carly, explain your quote unquote brainchild. Yeah. What was that? What was that meal? <laughs> oh yeah, well, just had this vision that all these beautiful little perch fillets to beer batter them and fry them and make a nice taco feast out of them. Yeah, but not just an ordinary taco feast. Like you got to describe all the the condiments and the the sides and everything that put it together. Because you know when people think of tacos or even fish tacos, there's sort of a <coughs> a set image. But this was nothing like that. So, well, <coughs> we started with homemade flour tortillas, and that definitely pulled the whole dish together. And then having that kind of fresh tangy crunch, we had. <coughs> Ca cabbage, red cabbage with green peas and grated carrots with like a lemony, tangy dressing over top of that. And then we had a chipotle mayo dip to put with it with guacamole. And then, of course, our beer battered perch. And it was just absolutely unreal. Unreal. It was really good. And those perch yeah. just came out of the ice like hours before yeah, dinner last night yeah yeah you kind of went into a taco making trance you just i think the exactly hardest part was filleting the perch when you've only got like a millimeter thick fillet to work with yeah <laughs> but yeah but we're i mean we're fishing on a lake that's only like five minutes from our house and when yeah. we got in the truck at the end of the day it was we were joking last night it was like carly was just like just boom she just had this vision yeah. for how these fish were going to get prepped and make them into tacos and she was rattling off what the whole recipe was yeah. going to be and i didn't know what was going on and you were just giving me instructions <laughs> and it turned out really good uh, but, part of me yeah. was just trying to figure it out as i went yeah. but yeah that was amazing um that was that was a lot lot of fun um you know doing going out on the ice catching some fish bringing them home and making a 
really special dinner out of it. It just pulls it all together. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a really cool part about hunting and fishing, getting your yeah. own food, and then just doing some really special thing with it rather than just like, ah, yeah, whatever, and just yeah. heat it up. Yeah, we got we way more than we bargained for, too. When we went to the lake, I did not expect we'd be having an amazing meal catching. How many did we catch? 15? Yeah, 15. Little, 15 little perch, perch yeah, yeah. So it was it was cool. Yeah, yeah and you and fillet them. You filleted them, them all and filleted them. Filleted them all and, um, and beer battered them all and... Uh, and even had a few extra to bring for Curtis tonight for for him to try them. So, yeah. which we ended up eating. <laughs> yeah, <we just> <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we ate your supper. We brought you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, um, on on the on the topic of f fishing and reflecting back on uh, on 2019, um, let's talk more about fishing. So, Curtis, how many days did you guide this summer? Uh, I was pushing close to 70 days. Yeah, it was a busy summer. 70 days and then probably another 20 at least during just the guiding season. Well, like the kind of prime fishing season that I was fishing for myself. Mm -hmm. And all yeah. of that catch and release. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. all of it. Yeah. So there seems to be a lot of uh, kind of ups and downs in the North American fishing community about the whole catch and release thing. Do you follow that? Not much? really. No? No. No, I think there seems to be kind of a movement that's just sort of like, well, what's the, the one saying I've heard it? You hook it, you cook it. <laughs> Meaning you don't just don't. go out to catch fish to let them go, but... Yeah. But uh, sounds a bit like my guiding experience. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, yeah. From Haida Gwaii. In Haida Gwaii, yeah. In Haida Gwaii. But I mean, the but thing I've always tree. maintained about that is, uh, like, I think catch and release has, you know, has its place in, you know, in these outdoor lifestyles because, one, I believe we want to do everything we can to maintain people out there on the rivers and fishing and having that connected connect connection to the water. It sustains the fish, the things they love to do, the, the benefits they get from fishing because um, as soon as you lose that, then you lose voices and advocacy for conservation yeah. and stewardship mm -hmm. of the water resources. And there's some systems like the elk here where you fish. I mean, you can't have that number of rods on the water, you know, in, and yeah. everybody taking well, there's, there, there fish. Well, so. there is, I mean, there is sections on the elk that are catch and release only sections. You're not allowed to keep keep um cutthroat and bull trout out of those sections and, and so what what's the rationale for that like Prob fish, fish well swim right so why are those well, are they, they like they, are yeah they, they swim but they you, they typically hold like a fish will hold in pretty much the same spot for the duration of the season oh okay like yeah we we, we call them pet fish where you'll be floating down the same section and you can say okay right off that log bang it's like oh yeah we've caught him caught him it's before it's the it's the guides they they manipulate the fishing regulations so they yeah, have it set up so that anywhere that the, <laughs> that the that the general public can walk to get to the to the river they've they've had those designated as catch and release only so. 
Yeah, so it's a good one to get started as a rumor. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. They, uh, they, they, they pay kickbacks because they make so much money in the fly fishing industry. They can, like, just afford to give tens of thousands of dollars. Well, and, and, I mean, you think about it, like, the amount of boats that I see going down the river, not that the elk is a busy river, but in the few years that I've been guiding, it has got considerably busier. If every single one of those pers- or the, those anglers, two anglers in a boat, if every single one of those boats, say on any given stretch, there's six to ten boats, you know, double that, you're, you're 12 to 20 people keeping two, two four fish each, you would absolutely decimate yeah. the, the population. Yeah. Or, or they'd be setting regulations like you're allowed one, f- one fish every seven days, and it has to be over forty centimeters, which means nobody would catch anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there's still places of the river where people can still go and catch a couple of cuts. Oh, and, and yeah, I definitely, I definitely think you need that. Like, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of voices out there that are saying that it should be fully catch and release. But I still think you need that opportunity for somebody to go down there if they want to. Yeah, catch a fish and at the end of the day fishing is yeah. still its roots is still the same as hunting it's about getting food and yeah. allowing people to go out and get food is still an important way if they want to catch a few fish and keep them now you did a uh, trip down to the coast as well on your own couple two trips right one on the ocean and yeah we did uh we did that uh salmon charter in the early summer uh, we went down there was a group of us uh, we had a killer day. It was just, it was on. There were six of us, and, and I think everybody got at least two uh, Chinook that were 15, 20 pounds. Like, it was, it was on. Uh, at the time, there was um, no retention on any Chinook, and there was no retention on any uh, any wild coho. So the only salmon that you could keep at the time in Georgia Strait were... Um, were hatchery coho, hmm. and we ended up getting a couple of those, and and we brought them back and and cooked them back up at the Airbnb and had a really really nice meal with that. And so this was the first year for the Fraser runs where they had their restrictions, right, on the Chinook and I think so, yeah. yeah, so yeah, yeah. So now yeah. you you guys caught and, and, and that was that was just in in Georgia South. Yeah, yeah. Now you caught a pretty big Chinook that you released, right? Well, we all did. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was just saying. Is we all? Yeah, yeah. We all got. Like I know you're big on catch and release here on our rivers and stuff, but it's like when you've gone, you know, to hide a guire to the, it's sort of like I want a big salmon to cook, cook and eat kind of thing. And even even then, it's it's well, I don't know. It's it's just kind of. Because I've been doing the the fly fishing thing for so long, it's just kind of a part of fishing for me now. Is I don't really need to kill the fish. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fish eating fan to begin with. I, you know, I like salmon and, and halibut, but it's not something that I'm gonna have as a staple. Versus like ducks, I could I could have an yeah. entire I'd have an entire freezer full of ducks over an entire <laughs> freezer full of whitetail any day. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's, it's, I've caught enough fish and seen enough fish go back that it's not really, you know, it's not like, oh man, wish we could have kept that. And I, my buddies on the boat, 
when when we were tossing all these big Chinook back, they're like, oh man, it's like too bad. We could have should have been able to keep these. And the guide was like, oh, he's like, you guys would have got like you know four grand worth of market salmon today. And you know there was a little bit of kind of like bummed outness on the boat that it's like, oh, you know, if if we could have like we could have potentially had a whole whack of salmon and i was i was totally fine i was like it was just as just as fun of a day mm-hmm. going out it was more about the experience of being out there yeah that's that's being that, with the buddies and, and that's that's really like what fishing for me comes down to now it's like i don't really it's not about catching the fish it's like if i i, I go out and don't catch anything it's like it's still just as fun of a day i just like being out and i don't have to have to catch them and keep them well, and especially in, uh, you know, where they're talking about the, the conservation concerns for, you know, those those salmon down there to be able to s- still know that there were some big ones there. And yeah, see them and hold uh, there was, them there was, we, we got out of most of them. Um, it was pretty close to like 60, 40 hatchery fish. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The majority of those hmm. bigger fish we did get were were hatchery fish we did we did have a few um a few wild and we did catch a couple wild coho that we had to had to let go well those are those are pretty uh pretty big numbers 60 40 yeah yeah Yeah, there's pretty big concerns about this whole concept of hatchery raised fish augmented wildlife or wild populations for sure you know the whole genetics you know aspect of it yeah um, and then you did a bit of steelhead fishing on Vancouver Island. Yeah, yeah, end of end of October, uh, kind of after the guide season, I went down and did uh, did some fishing down there. Met up with a couple people and uh, did a few days of steelheading and kind of fished some of the rivers for some salmon. And did you get a sense of how um, how that level of fishing was compared to years past on Vancouver Island? Not really. Um, the 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 buddy that I went out with, um, he's been doing it for a while, and we met up with a couple of his buddies that have been also like they're they're pretty hardcore steelheaders down there, and it was it was the the days that we had they were like these are these are pretty average days for what we've seen in the last as long as they can remember yeah yeah hmm. yeah well it's good they're still. And they were they were all they were all wild. We got uh, that that trip. I saw eight eight steelhead between between the two of us, and and not one was a hatchery steelhead. They were all all wild. Hmm. Well, that's yeah. pretty cool. That's yeah. cool. That was that was eight eight steelhead to like to hand eight something something around yeah. there, um, and you know hits and fish on and lost and that sort of stuff but uh, i i can imagine that those were all probably wild wild steelhead hmm. well that's cool i mean that's good good to hear yeah definitely um so jake you were on the ocean all summer most of the summer i was this uh, is your guiding. third year too on the third ocean year on the ocean and now you're in a totally different population of salmon right up in Haida Gwaii different population of salmon and probably a different population of fishermen as well um, compared to the catch and release 
kind of style. Um, yeah. Yeah. Ocean, ocean fish. So yeah. the, so now, as I understand it, the fish on the outside of Haida Gwaii are fish or salmon that are headed for Alaska, right? Yeah. And then everything on the, on the inside. On the, west, on the west side. Yeah. And the then open everything ocean on the side. inside of like Hecate Heck, and yeah. down into. The inside passage. Inside passage. Those are all Fraser Rimmon. Yeah. Uh, Fraser River. Um, okay. Yeah. Now, how did, how did your season go this year? It was a better season than I've seen um, compared to the last two years. Um, I'm hesitant to throw any theories as to why. Uh, you know, there's there's so many factors involved. You know, there's the commercial fishing and not being as active this year. You know, they shut that down for most of the season or the sea lions or whatever. But and and just your your being a better experienced well, guide. Well, there might be that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, call yeah. one. This is my best year ever. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it was a, it was a fantastic season um, for me. You know, lots of fish um, made my job a lot easier. Um, but yeah, it was uh, yeah fantastic year. I started the season uh, just north of Bella Bella, and then just couldn't resist the the northern waters of Haida Gwaii there. So that's where I ended up for the rest of the season. Now, when you said sort of like different cultures of fishermen as well. Well, I mean, you know, there's the fly fishing style, and then there's you know guys who want to come and get their meat, and which you know I, I it's my job to you know get them that meat, but the person who started out in the Kootenays kind of doing the cash and release thing, it, it's something I've never really, you know, gotten over. It still hurts to see, you know, <laughs> lots of fish kind of, you know, bite the bullet. But yeah, that being said, I take home a full limit every year too. So <laughs> yeah, and we get to appreciate it at Christmas dinner. Oh, yeah, you know, we do. Yeah, yeah, we sure did. Yeah, get to feed the whole family with yeah. it too. As so. opposed to just a picture of the one that you released. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely a different mindset, but uh, I think at my core, I'd still like to be. You know, I sometimes, even when I'm on the boat, think of Curtis there on the river. It'd be nice to do a little bit more catch release. Yeah. Yeah. What was there, have you seen more of that in your clients, like, over three years? Like, is catch and release becoming a bit more of a thing in um, salmon fishing? I've managed on my own boat to, you know, encourage more of the big ones to be let go. But since the change in regulation um, down south where it, there was no retention uh, around the island and, you know, these fisheries were guys are used to being able to take home salmon. You get a lot of people coming up north just to, you know, catch their quotas because it was one of the only areas where you could actually do that for most of the season. Right, right. Huh. Now, there's restrictions on halibut size restrictions, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, how does it work? If they're big, you can't keep them. Yeah, you can have a... You you can't keep them over 126 centimeters, um, but you can keep... They change it this year. You used to be able to keep... Um, 83 to 110 centimeters, two of those, and then above that, you could keep one. But this year, it was 90 centimeters to 126 centimeters. If you caught one of those, that was your only halibut. Um, or you could keep two under 90 centimeters. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so only one. Only okay. one over. Of that size. Only, and that would over make 90. it so you couldn't keep an under as well. So yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So would would people be more encouraged to release the larger ones so that they can catch two smaller ones or That seemed to be the way. You know, yeah. We were catching a lot in the you know, you'd catch your two eighty seven centimeters or eighty nine centimeter halibut rather than the one big one. You end up with a bit more meat at simile. Right. Yeah. Now is this did, did I get this right? The great big ones are typically mature breeding females. 
that's and that's what that's the what people say. Um, and I, I believe that I I'm not exactly sure if it's just the big females. Um, yeah, not super sure on that. Hmm. Yeah. Now, what about uh, taste? I've always heard that the best tasting halibut are kind of like that twenty to forty. I think that's just yeah. to make fishermen feel good about their small catch. Oh, yeah. Okay. And the guy catches the big fish, and they're just yeah. like, ah, it's full of worms. They wouldn't want that anyway. That's just to keep <laughs> us from spending hours and hours trying to catch that big halibut. <laughs> it's better to tell people a nice eighty-three centimeters tastier than a hundred and ten or whatever they're trying oh. to get close to their number okay it's okay. a time saving so, device so that secret's yeah. out now right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah if any of my guests are listening i'm sorry uh, maybe, maybe it requires a, a a taste taste challenge right yeah we can do that next year yeah can cool. come off a, a big halibut or a small halibut which tastes better yeah. so well you can the halibut we had this year was uh 89 centimeters so you can probably tell me how good that was no, oh, that was Christmas dinner. Yeah, was that was Christmas dinner. Was eight nine centimeters. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it had a big tail on it. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Wow. So looking forward to next year. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Cool. Are you going back? Uh, I guess we'll have to see. It's Just it's hard to finish resist because you're finishing up school this year. So well, our freezer's gonna get low, so you better go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get told now. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's like you're doing it. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, Carly, you were up north. Um, did a bit of steelhead fishing, but um, yeah, tell us a little bit about the situation with steelhead in oh, northern well, BC. This I, year. I really wish I had a steelhead to release. I couldn't catch one to save my life. <laughs> uh, and I guess it's not Fish even just a thousand me. Casts. Oh, it's not. It's more like, anyways, 4, like hundred thousand casts. casts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's not only just me. Like being on the river and talking to other fishermen and locals, it's just everyone's just been struggling. And some of the guides that have been there for decades, they're just one trip. They're lucky if they can even get together two or three steelhead. And they said on a regular day, they'd be 20 easily. And so, yeah, it's uh, my first season up there. But uh, so I haven't experienced anything else. But just hearing what everyone has mm -hmm. been saying, it's it was a really rough year. Yeah, so All the guides we talked to up there were... Definitely hurting to try and catch anything for their Yeah, clients. and, like, guests were going home early because there was just no fish. And, yeah. And, I mean, I was out there my fair share, and I definitely put my time in. And the only thing I caught was a little resonant trout that still had its par marks. I didn't even realize it was on the end of the line. And when I cast <laughs> it back, this thing comes flying out of the water and, like, hits the back at the end of me. And, oh, man. But, wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, so what? So what river systems you're talking about? The Bulkley? The Bulkley, Skeena. Skeena, Babine. Yeah, I fished all three of those. And, and same thing. It's just even all the way down to Terrace and Rupert. Terrace had a little bit of a better season. But from what people were saying, like the it's just been such a rough season for steelhead. What about salmon? Salmon as well. So mm. we had a Chinook closure. Uh, all over the Skeena and the Bulkley, you weren't allowed to retain any of the Chinook, which is first time that was implemented. And so it was a big shock to a lot of people. And uh, yeah, we had the, some of the lowest returns of sockeye that we had seen. And I think last year there was over 100,000 sockeye return. And uh, this year it was, it was about 8,700, I think. So the populations are just absolutely brutal this year mm. yeah it's a 
it's it's amazing how different all those those populations are like you know the georgia versus the ones headed to alaska and i think mm -hmm. i remember i don't know if you had i think i remember hearing some stuff where some of the runs in alaska were really good this year like this past year that was certainly our experience yeah on the northern yeah northern tip of the island there um, and a lot of the other lodges were saying that as well yeah yeah huh but yeah, it, yeah and then you know just not that far from you like you know the in the yeah. you know the fish that are heading into the into the nass and the skeena and stuff like you know being being really on mm -hmm. record record lows it's yeah yeah i mean they always talk about the ocean being the big black box right just yeah. don't know what happens to fish when they go out there and yeah. what goes on in their world and you yeah. know they see these you know and this is happening with different different salmon returns you know they're they're like record low record low record low and then all of a sudden like the next year it was like mm -hmm. record high and mm -hmm. you're like where did all those fish come from right mm -hmm. they're just a, a bizarre bizarre fish to uh um get get a handle on like scientifically populations and manage and commercial fisheries mm -hmm. on them and well they've got so much going against them it's just it's a real uphill battle to try and get anything done with them yeah when you taste that good <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you know and, you, and yeah. it tastes good to yeah. a lot of different mammals yeah not yeah. just people that's for yeah. sure that's for sure um yeah, yeah no that's uh that's that's some interesting um, experiences this this summer. So you know, be I actually did have more more remember more clients this year who chose not to keep Chinooks just because mm -hmm. they know that the populations are struggling. Um, they, they've been hearing about it. And people have been hearing about it, and it's it's in the media now, and it's getting a lot of attention. So I did have I did have more guests than I can remember choosing to either keep a coho or we did do more catch and release. Um, um, so wh groups. where are most of those people coming from? Are they from the states? Cana it could be Canadian. Is it mostly okay. Canadians? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're we've they're got a lot of American guests, but the people who seem to be more conscious of the populations were mostly the Canadians. Mm -hmm. and yeah. Do you think they're west? Are they west coast? Are they they from Vancouver area? Yeah, and stuff it's, coming it's up. Mostly okay. Those guys who yeah, who so it affects their their day to day too the population. Yeah, so and they're going to yeah. hear about that that in the news all yeah. the time in Vancouver. Yeah. yeah. Huh. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. But I know at your lodge and the lodge I worked at that if a guy brought home, brought in a Chinook that was over 50 pounds, it was almost kind of like you're shunned when you get to the dock. Everyone's just like, oh, what yeah. are you doing keeping that? Hmm. Even over you know, 25 pounds, it's kind of getting to that point where we're, you know, a 20, a 25 pound fish these days is a, you know, would have been a 60 pound fish 25 years ago. You know, we're just not yeah, catching that many big fish. Some of those runs up around i remember when i lived up there as a kid like around um terrace and stuff there was some runs that went up some of the tributaries off the skeena were were just known for genetically for producing fish in that like chinook in the 80 to 90 you mm -hmm. know pound category i remember the yeah. whole time i lived up there they just said it was only a matter of time where they would break a hundred pound chinook salmon out of out yeah. of the river right so it was yeah. like now yeah. now we're talking about like 50s big 40s big 25 yeah. big well, it's yeah. kind of interesting yeah. when i did work at the lodge they had uh like a wall that showed all the records of all the years since the day they were open and it's like you look back to the first couple years they're open it's like the biggest chinook is like over 90 pounds 80 mm -hmm. pounds and then it's just like as you're looking through it's like same thing it goes to like the 60s 70s mm -hmm. and then 
the previous couple years that I was up there, it's just like people were lucky if they were able to pull out a 50 pounder. Yeah, I was so. actually going to say that. Yeah, there's you look back to I think it was 1997. There was like on our wall there was over 50, over 50 salmon over 50 pounds, 50 chinooks over 60 pounds, and we didn't catch one for two years. And we just this year caught, I think, three at the lodge. But yeah. you're just not seeing those big I mean, it's a pretty through. common phenomenon. I've seen stuff on this, like in just about everywhere you go in the world in fishing. Like once fishing pressure gets over a certain threshold, like all of your largest, oldest age classes are the ones that disappear, uh, like the fastest. Yeah. And um, I, I've seen some data like from here for from the upper fording river where you can't fish like in the in the native cutthroat population that's up there just sort of the um, um, the distribution of sizes of fish you know like numbers of fish in all these different size classes and like the biggest size class like there's huge cutthroat in the upper fording river yeah. system like big big fish and um they know, because there's been, I don't know, you've heard sort of talks about opening the upper fording up to fishing. Mm. And if they had any type of a retention on them, they said those are the first age classes that disappear. These great big, like 20 plus inch cutthroats are going to be going to be gone, right? Mm. So yeah. Um, just, yeah, people that go out and fish want the big ones. Yeah, they they target them and, and, yeah. and pull them out where I guess that's part of the you know, something mm -hmm. on a fishery like that that is opened up, um, that has been closed for a long time. If you had any type of a take fishery on it, then, yeah, those age classes are going to disappear. But if they're catch and release, then... Yeah, and I, I don't know, like, even in the sections on the elk where, where it's... You're, there, there is a, a kill fishery, you're, you don't notice any smaller fish. Like, you're still pulling... You know, you're, you're averaging... 15 to 17 inches like yeah yeah and and in in all like the the years that i've been doing it that that upper age class is harder to get yeah just like yeah, big yeah, white tail yeah, box exactly. or big there's bull just, elk or whatever not... few people get them but yeah but they are wily old critters that have probably seen a few foam yeah foam bugs float by in their life been stung by a few hooks so yeah maybe they get they get older and bigger because they're a little bit more wiser with age <laughs> tuned <laughs> to the world so um yeah cool i mean that's a kind of an interesting perspective on what you guys have been seeing in fishing but um i mean would you still encourage people to go to the ocean off the coast of bc and fish you got some amazing it's just so beautiful there Oh, it's just incredible. Yeah, I, I can't recommend it enough to people as long as we're doing it in a sustainable way. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just everything. I mean, you get, you see whales. Oh, yeah. You see yeah. so many whales, you're kind of like, oh, another whale. Like, <laughs> no, I never get tired of whales. <laughs> no, there's another 45-ton whale. <laughs> it Every time I see a whale or an orca or something come out of the water, it takes my breath away. Yeah. I don't know. If, yeah, it's amazing. You know, I've I think back to guests who come from, the middle of uh, Tennessee or somewhere where it's just such a different environment and they come onto the ocean and they literally are speechless for four hours. They're just jaw to the floor. It's, yeah, it's just a really incredible environment. 
the 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 scenery the environment the the atmosphere everything wow it's so different from anything i've ever experienced that's why i I, you know i always say i'm not going to go back and then a couple of months goes away i'm like why would i ever not want to go there yeah it's just incredible well it's still still a great place to go and try a bit of fishing oh it's still a great place to go yeah and i hope we can keep it going for years to come yeah, yeah, it's important for people, like I said earlier, um, be educated, uh, you know, learn about what's going on with uh, the salmon and steelhead conservation in British Columbia and um, watch those media headlines. Um, they get a little bit kind of uh, flamboyant. So mm-hmm. do the, so do the, the um, like the chat boards and stuff where everybody goes on and mm-hmm. on stuff like that. It's like those are probably the best places to stay away from if you, mm-hmm. if you're, Trying to learn something. Trying to learn yeah. some facts. To be, yeah, to be yeah. educated. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you finally got that off your chest after keeping that to yourself all Christmas. <laughs> yeah, about 10 totally. pounds later. Yeah, huh? yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I, c- I could have went on more about kind of things yeah. in BC, but there's people yeah. that know a lot more about it than me that are that are working on those issues. Same with the salmon. Um, yeah. If these are something that are near and dear to your heart, then reach out to the organizations that are trying to make a difference. And, you know, with mm-hmm. salmon and steelhead in British Columbia, and uh, if you do nothing else, uh, join them and learn you know educate mm-hmm. yourself so mm-hmm. and buy a fishing license and go out there and catch yourself a fish if you can so yeah. um yeah let's switch gears talk a little bit about hunting so um how did you do deer hunting this year jake um well <laughs> I, <laughs> I know the answer it was catch, you, you it was catch and release, release. It, was catch <laughs> and release. <laughs> it was a look at and release <laughs> we didn't have that one chance but yeah it was it was a great trip we had together i would say it was i i really enjoyed it but there was no uh no deer and extra deer in my freezer uh, yeah. this year no yeah but uh but you still got some from last year we've still got some from last year yeah yeah it was a strange time when we went out because it was there was this whole period in october through the remembrance day weekend where everything was just the weather warmed up and it was just very very still yeah, in the forest. Very I think we even wood. had the one day. Remember, I was just said it just you can't even. There's no birds like chirping, yeah. right? It was just it was so eerie still. Yeah. And uh, well, but and the deer are still there. Like we saw the tracks. They and were the around. Snow yeah, we saw them all over the around. place. But it was just like n- not yeah. a lot of activity. So it makes yeah. hunting harder. But yeah. But then the week after I left, apparently it was just lights out. So. Well, yeah. that's <laughs> when you got your deer, Curtis. Just. Yeah. Just after yeah. that, and it was just like. Yeah. Well, that the. There's the a buck. There's another one. No, yeah. don't shoot yeah, that the, one. The I think that's a different one than the one yeah. I just the, shot. The day that I I got my buck, but the like the buddy that I was out with, we saw, eight. Eight bucks that were like nice shooter four points, and then you know we there was probably another. Two three spikes, you know two points that sort of stuff like we saw a lot of deer that day yeah right right from the get-go right at first light the first two deer we saw were there was a, there was a, a doe and a fawn and then we we went another couple hundred yards and then it was like big buck and then it was just yeah all all day yeah you it know? seemed to be right around that november i don't know it was like 17th. 17th or something and, like that and it was just so like the it threw a light switch and it was just you'd already left yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it would throw a light switch on and it was yeah. like just deer. well i know i know it, myself two guys at work got white tails on the same day and then one of the guys from work because i was i was talking about it with him and he says oh man he's like was it crazy out there i was like oh man it was 
insane. Like there was just deer everywhere. And then he said he knew of two or three other people that got nice whitetail bucks that day. I had a buddy who was out hunting, um, and he said there was bucks everywhere. He didn't end up getting one, but it was, and, and that was over like a, a pretty large area. Like, it's not like we were all hunting in the same yeah. zone. It was a huge area of, of where everybody was. And it was like, that was just the day where that mm. light switch cl- clicked. And if and you're out there on that day, then it's a happening place. But yeah. Yeah. One of the things I see, well, or, or here locally is like, you know, people were pounding the ground that whole time, like you and mm-hmm. I were, and then they're just like, there's no deer left. There's no white tailed deer. Right. And like, and you know, they come back and they're, you know, sort of like the deer population's mm-hmm. decimated and you know, you're yeah. hunting too many does, there's no deer. And then like the next week it was like, Oh, and for, for like, every, every buck, had every buck that we saw. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was, <laughs> we had the one run right out in front of the truck when we were, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, that's the crazy yeah. thing about, you know, trying to take people's individual experiences in hunting and say, this is how wildlife management should be done based on those yeah. experiences. Because we were out that week and we we're like, oh, my gosh, this mm-hmm. is what's going on. Right. But I mean, yeah. we could read the tracks in the snow and they're like, they're here. They they're were there. Well, they were in our tracks after we, uh, yeah, we left. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, the next week, yeah. if you happen to be out, you're like, oh, my gosh, there's deer everywhere. We need to yeah. liberalize the season. There's too many yeah. of them. And uh well, the next weekend, yeah. you and I were out, and we followed exactly your footsteps in the snow. And and in that, uh, <laughs> in the week that you left, and the when we went back, there were five different grizzly bear tracks. Five, oh, yeah. Like five yeah. tracks that belonged to five different bears. And, and then we also saw four bucks on one day, too, in the exact yeah. same area we were hunting. With it him, might just so. be me. <laughs> so, no, it, no, was, it, it wasn't. wasn't. It, it was the. Yeah. It was definitely... There was... Something it was on. the quiet before the storm, the quiet yeah. before the rut uh, switched on. Yeah. And if you're not if you're not out there the moment that happens, mm-hmm. I think you have a very different perspective of yeah. what deer populations are doing. Mm-hmm. So Curtis, you saw what you said eight bucks. Yeah. Something. And how many how many does and fawns? Oh, there was there was, you know, two two to three does per buck. Easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was so you just, just saw mm-hmm. a whack oh, of deer. Rampant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, even, um, uh, well, uh, one of my friends was telling me that after the deer season was closed, there's a lot of people here, like, all concerned, like, that there's no white-tailed deer left, and, you know, they're they're being wiped out and stuff, and most abundant big game animal in North America, you know, but apparently except for here. And uh, he said he was talking to a guy that started cat hunting after the deer season was over, and he was getting out into the woods when, like, no hunters were out there, vehicle activity had reduced there was a bit of snow and uh, he was starting to hunt cats everything had quieted down in the bush you know deer were still rotting and stuff and he was like oh my god there's a lot of whitetails out there when you get it back into these places we're looking for cats right and he, you know my friend was telling me he was one of the type that were sort of like thinking that our hunting seasons were wiping out whitetails and all of a sudden it's like well there's actually a lot of whitetails when you get back back out there yeah. so um well, it's the same thing as me trying to paint, you know, a picture of the fishing, uh, fish stocks from, from my one, my yeah. limited perspective from my boat, but yeah. Yeah. That's, that's why we all say we gotta, gotta have science to, to give us that, that data. And sure. if it lines up with your way of thinking, it's the best science in the world. If it goes against your personal experiences, then you're like, oh, they don't know what they're doing and they're manipulating the numbers. Mm-hmm. But, um, so both you guys went 
duck hunting for the first time earlier this year, right? Yeah, my yeah, ducks we are bigger out. than your ducks. <laughs> <That's for sure>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got the bigger buck when we went uh, hunting, and you got the bigger ducks as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the way you keep a relationship going. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard Letting every time I come home because it's just like I'm introduced to some new form of hunting, and then all of yeah. a sudden there goes all my paychecks. Like, it's yeah. just every time I come home, it's so expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's and certainly been expensive knowing you guys. We've got so many new hobbies now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we should introduce you to fly tying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, don't get even, don't even get started, me started on that. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, would, yeah, I mean, you guys got some, it was kind of cool because it was like for for you, Carly, it was your first morning out and the first duck that came into the set and your first shot, you got your first duck. So yeah. it was kind of cool. Kind of cool. But, um, and then we were out um, before Christmas and speaking of magnets, they were pretty much, we were repelling them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The big, the big winter flocks. I don't yeah. know what it was. I think there's just been had they've been shot at a few times too many by that time of the year. They knew, they knew what was happening uh, yeah. on the ground. But um, what do you guys think of duck hunting? Like just as a comparing duck hunting and deer hunting. Oh, I think it's something I'm certainly hooked on. Well, now. it's like comparing apples to oranges. It's just such a different form of yeah. hunting. Duck we, hunting is yeah. just it's so much fun. It's like when you're not paying attention, all of a sudden all these ducks fly and you're like, holy crap, and then you got to stand up and shoot, or deer hunting's not, not quite the same. You don't get a whole flock of deer coming in. I was surprised at the amount of adrenaline I experienced when you see the ducks kind of coming into land. It's it's a very cool yeah, experience. When they, get, when they get set and they're gliding in. Yeah, yeah. there's nothing yeah. more exciting. Even when we were sitting at, the, at Christmas, I looked out the window and a duck came over and I got this... Surge of adrenaline I've never had just looking up at a duck. You know, once you go duck hunting, you'll never, you'll never eat, look at them the same way. You'll be, oh, you'll be driving and you gotta like try to look out the top. There's just duck flying yeah. over. It's like, well, at Christmas yeah, we would uh, be sitting at your lake cabin and having a conversation, and then some ducks would fly by, and both Jake and I are like, "Oh, look at those ducks!" And everyone's like looking what they are. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we're certainly hooked. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. And, nope. and they just taste so fantastic. We've oh, been making the duck amazing. poppers. Yeah, yeah. The duck I know poppers. why you say it's your favorite. It's the sky beef. Yeah, sky the beef. Ballards. Oh, there's 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 no better tasting wild game in mm-hmm. British Columbia than a mallard duck, especially Hands wrapped down. in bacon Hands and down. jalapeno and cream cheese. Yeah, that's that's a good way to do it. Yeah. Well, what other ways do you do that then, Curtis? Do what? Uh, duck pop, duck pop, um, poppers, and then what else? What else have you done with Oh, it? nothing beats just like just butter, duck. salt, and pepper. Grilling them. Yeah. 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 It's surprisingly dark meat, actually. I wasn't expecting that. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's really like red. Yeah. yeah. Like almost yeah. like venison. Yeah. And you cook yeah. it the same way, too. Cook medium cook rare. Medium rare. rare. I do pink. I do more on the rare side. Like pink, pink, pink. It's still, fl- yeah. it's still flying when it lands on my plate. Oh, yeah. Perfect. And I did uh, uh, Canada Goose a little while ago. I did it, um, cured it, and smoked a. Uh, um, pastrami. Oh yeah. Goose. And we made so those, good. those yeah. sandwiches. Yeah, that was, that's a, that's a good, I got more geese this year than I, than I did ducks. Um, so that's good. Yeah. Now both you guys started hunting for your first time last year, right? Other than when you and I used to go out when you were, you were little and stuff, but you both got your first deer last year. Maybe fill us in a little bit about that experience. Well, I think moving away and kind of being self-reliant and, first of all, buying meat from the grocery store, it's just so expensive. And especially as, like, a starving student, it's just not not a road that I wanted to go down. And 
And then also to be able to hunt my meat, know exactly kind of how it died. It died peacefully, respectfully. It was honored when it was died. And like it, uh, it totally beats going to the grocery store and just picking out a plate of meat. And you just have no idea what the life of that animal was, what it Mm -hmm. ate, how it died. And to be able to have the whole experience of that, it just really brings you closer to the meal that's on your table. And just makes you so much more grateful and so much more aware of what you're eating, what you're putting in your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the tide of food was definitely um, the thing that got me most excited initially. Um, and I grew up in a hunting family, you know, and it just it didn't really grab me uh, up until that, that hunting experience. It was really a, a life-changing thing, I think, you know. Mm-hmm. We've just gotten really excited about cooking and making all these different meals and honoring the animal. and. Yeah, I feel like yeah. I, I took it for granted as a kid a little yeah. bit. It was kind of like, oh, going out hunting, oh, yeah, having deer. another deer, having yeah. more elk, oh, okay, like what I was just kind of, that's how it was. I didn't think too much of it. And yeah, when I kind of got out into the real world on my own, it was, I was kind of like, holy yeah. crap, that is so awesome. How come I didn't start this sooner? And then, yeah. and then you guys watch some documentaries on modern industrial meat production and stuff. And yeah, yeah, it's, there's no, it feels it certainly feels good knowing exactly where and when and how that animal lived and yeah yeah and we had some pretty cool experiences last year when you guys went out like we watched that martin i think that was like just just before you got your buck yeah. and i think that's one of the few times i recall where i w- actually got to watch a martin for like quite a long time mm-hmm. usually they're kind of like they're an animal that doesn't st- sit still for more than two seconds and you kind of mm-hmm. watch one bobble past you in the forest but we got to even videotape it and yeah and that was you got carly you got your buck on remembrance day mm-hmm. right right towards the end of the evening and i remember i remember sort of looking <coughs> looking at when we were sitting kind of in the evening you know flipping through some pictures and i got the on my camera picture of of you know, my great uncle that died in, you know, World War One, and sort of, and I wear the, I wear the little wristband that, you know, says, you know, never forget, you know, yeah. honor or Remembrance Day, and I was kind of thinking, thinking about him and, and, and stuff, and then, you know, we just basically got up from there and kind of walked like about 100 feet, and all of a sudden there was your box standing there, right? Like, yeah. it was just a really kind of like, sort of move, moving experience, yeah. you know, in that, that all happened you know especially because there's all these things about remembrance day you know nowadays to honor the veterans and stuff Mm -hmm. that you know christmas stuff shouldn't be put out ahead and you know like whether should you go hunting on remembrance day and whatever and i remember always hearing something about it was like that's what they fought and died for you know and Mm -hmm. i was like yeah if somebody in my family had fought and died i'd want his family to be out hunting Mm-hmm. you know on his behalf on remembrance day and that's when you got your first buck yeah. it was just i remember that it was, was very cool it that was, was pretty, pretty cool it's very special yeah there's so many moments where you just take a moment to stop and absorb what's around you it's t- totally changed the way i kind of pace myself as i go through the woods you know i like to hike and climb mountains but since i've gone hunting i've really slowed down and you notice every you know every track or you notice a little bird flying or every sound you hear it's just totally given me a new way of moving through the woods and you kind of drop into that. I don't know if you're in the predator mindset. Just something kind of primal, kind of clicked inside of me. I think when yeah, I yeah, certainly. Kind of when when you get time. schooled so much by the animals that you're after, you, it tends to temper you a yeah. little bit. And then yeah. as soon as you let your guard down and decide, oh, I'm just going to get from point A to point B and walk fast, then you jump a buck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was kind of neat because uh, when we saw that Martin that evening, we looked up what it. Uh, 
meant to see a marten out in the woods and it meant good luck hunting and yeah. like not even half an hour later yeah, you got your buck yeah. yeah 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 that's uh those are neat when those things those things come together <laughs> and even just you know we're, as a couple it was just so cool to share that together you know sharing those moments together i don't think there's any time i felt closer you know. Yeah, well, it's yeah. neat when we first started dating. It was that it's like we'd go on a hike, and you were just like gone, like yeah, see I'm at the top sort the of thing. Now. And I'm like, yeah. holy crap! And now yeah. it's kind of like, come on, Jake, yeah, let's go. I'm <laughs> looking at the bugs and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty cool to see to yeah. see you guys kind of take off on it, and especially mm -hmm. your cooking. You guys have just got so into the elaborate cooking and mm -hmm. post these beautiful looking meals with your wild game and stuff on yeah. it on instagram that's pretty cool well i think that yeah. just the fact that with the perch yesterday and and just out of your head you're thinking okay so we are going to have this but we need something that's got a little bit of acidic flavor and we've mm -hmm. got to have this flavor to match this and you know for that to just pop out of your head for for a wild dinner so clearly when you're when you've uh, when you're preparing those dishes with all the wild meat you're just thinking about all of those things right so you totally. can just see the the how your um your cuisine and your way of preparing everything has just grown over the last mm -hmm. couple of years and just you know to be able to pull that out of your head i'm still not there it's well i mean even I jake too chicken like and fish or chicken and rice <laughs> when we first <laughs> dated it was like i'd go over to your house and it was like packaged pierogies and you still yeah. had to look at the directions. That's cool. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Packaged yeah. rogies. And now it's just like you cook things that I don't even know if I could cook. Like you're yeah, it's, outstanding. It's like once I had to, it's almost like I wanted to honor the meat every time I do it. You don't, you don't just casually cook up a, you know, a backstrap or something. Like it's a whole event and you're remembering the hunt. And mm -hmm. I don't know, just, it totally switched my mindset on what, what it is to eat a, eat a meal, you know. Well, it's just all yeah. honoring, right? Yeah, yeah, it's both honoring and mm -hmm. yeah, it's just it's so delicious too. It's so much better than anything. I, my first bite of venison, it was just so, so much different than you know the steaks I was used to eating growing up. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, yeah. even just like coming down to the things that complement a dish, like last night we were gonna use some store bought whole wheat flour tortillas and then it was just like ah oh, no you gotta yeah. make the homemade ones because they're just so much better and they're yeah. it's just gonna make the dish so much better than something that's processed and store-bought like if you can make it from scratch and put that time into a dish and it really elevates your cooking absolutely yeah. absolutely now aaron you um you got a buck this year too whitetail buck four point i did yeah. I did, yeah. First one. That's your first buck. It's not your first game animal. We've hunted before, and you've got a moose and a mountain goat. Yeah, that but it's been a long. A while ago. Yeah, it's been a long time. I think. Uh, uh, did I get the moose first, and then the mountain goat? And yeah. Curtis, I think moose you were was maybe before the kids, and the goat was. Curtis was two, maybe. Carly was just new. Two months old. We were like, let's was go hunting. Leave the kid at home. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no yeah um so it's yeah it's been 20 certainly about almost 24 years since i've been hunting 23 yeah. 24 years somewhere in there, you, did so. a, you did a great great job getting that buck what what when you look look back on that day what do you remember um well, you know, I think that uh, there's an appreciation of being out there and just really seeing things around you. And um, 
the it's the little things like you said Jake that you notice and it's the birds and then the things that you associate with that right and and um and and those those little gifts of nature that you just think okay well there's there's an extra little there's a there's a spirit here for for someone who you know like your uncle or whatever that there's there's a connection there and it's just being out in nature and being able to to feel those um those those people and animals that have been with you in throughout your life and so so I remember thinking that in a couple of places just you know the little birds coming by and coming so close like really so you almost you could reach out and touch them and they're and you just think oh yeah that's our that's our Razzie who's you know our our puppy dog who we lost this year so those kinds of things that um yeah um and it's not about just being out there and it's like oh yeah I got to get a deer it's just it's being out there and and really just being feeling that peacefulness of being out there and and it's not it it is no you know we went out twice though so the first the first uh weekend we went out we saw all the grizzly tracks and everything and and we went home and and i don't know if we really did we see much that day i can't no I think no we, we did. did half a day we went out yeah. Yeah, I don't think we saw any deer. And then the second time that we we went out we we saw a lot a lot more, but um again, it wasn't the oh gosh, if, and, I, and I think it was close to the end of the season and knowing that that was the last day and it's like, you know, that's okay. Um if we don't get anything and and then when we when we finally did see the the buck, we actually saw a little was he a little spike or a little two point or something? Yeah, and we saw yeah. There was a spike with the one that you got. And we didn't, yeah, point, so we, we didn't see. We saw a spike before that, and then we saw that other four point who had a bust, his other antler was busted off. Yeah. So we know there was a bigger one. But it was, you know, when, when the little spike was there, and and you kind of looked at me, and, and you said, it's a spike. And I just kind of went, yeah, no, I don't think I want a spike. And and then you said, holy smokes, hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> that was similar to, like, what happened when I got my deer. It's, uh dad you're the first one to see it and you come and look at me and you're just like hey there's there's a doe and there's a buck and he's like hey go up there get lined up on the buck and so it's like I go and I get lined up it's a spiker and I was just like oh yeah that's a nice buck and I was kind of getting lined up and then my dad's like oh no 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 the other one the other one and I like look and then there's a <laughs> the nice four point yeah, and I, I just assumed and it was just like there's a doe and a buck so I was like mm -hmm. oh there's the buck the other one must be the doe and yeah. That was the I was looking at this four-point buck, and I'm looking at where you're lined up, and I'm like, okay, something's not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, you're, you're aiming at the wrong buck. Yeah. Well, and it's cool, too, because you guys were in almost the same area we where you got exactly. both your bucks with the similar situation. Yeah, their deer yeah. were almost standing in the same spot. Yeah, wow. exactly. Same size deer and two bucks. Yeah. yeah. So a year so apart. Yeah. So yeah. whitetail so hunting's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I got a whitetail earlier uh, in October. Curtis got one. That's uh, it was it was a good good year for us. Um, but year the, the the buck you got, Aaron. It was like ten minutes left of shooting light. We shot. We watched it run. It fell down. We knew exactly, you know, where it was. Um, yeah, it was in the open. It was, it was all. In it was kind perfect. of an open cut blocky kind of And then of area. I just kept thinking of those. So now we are got this deer in the ground. It's dark, and we know there was, and there were yeah, grizzlies in there last year too when we were hunting in there. They were following us around, yeah. 
every other day cutting cutting our tracks and so here we are with this deer down there and it was like it's the fastest i've ever like clean cut a deer in half literally cut a deer in half and i packed out the she packed out the whole hindquarters which are joined together it was a a nice big buck and i took the whole front half of the deer like so the rib cage the whole front of it and it was on my backpack i've got a small pack a, a mystery ranch pintler opened up the cargo load and set this whole half a deer on the ground. <laughs> I couldn't see my pack and then closed and strapped it all up. And we were just like, let's, let's get, get out of here. here. Headlights mm-hmm. and, and uh, about two kilometers out, out to the truck. But I just remember thinking, I was like, if somebody was walking behind me, they should have taken a picture because all you would have saw was like this whole half a deer <laughs> sideways. They probably couldn't even see me. But it's, uh, I mean... You know, it's uh, it's an interesting time hunting whitetails here in southeastern BC late in November, and you gotta have your guard up for grizzly bears. I mean, normally that's like a early season high country elk hunt type thing. Is you gotta be like hyper aware and careful, and now it's like a late season whitetail thing. You probably have more of a chance having a confrontation with a grizzly bear late season white huntel white tail hunting late in the season than you do early season elk hunting now just because they're packed into a smaller oh. area and yeah um yeah those are um <laughs> oh and you y- there is a really i took a really what i call a beautiful picture of you with your deer you know kind of looking down on it and you just kind of had that very very thankful kind of feeling and and um you just got onto instagram and you put that picture up you know and kind of gave thanks and stuff and you use that one hashtag and then after you, the, what was it? The moms who hunt or something like that. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, that's a cool hashtag. And then post it. And then she goes on and like checks with that hashtag. Tell that story. Oh, what, that, uh, what, what, all of the different uh, moms who hunt were not, were not my, the, your moms who hunt. <laughs> 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 moms who Uh-oh. hunt were, you know, they have uh, a variety of people, um, but it's all quite a bit of glam with um the way that people are dressed and everything and that you know that's okay but mm-hmm. uh i i just uh for me with that like hunting and that sort of thing it's not about me it wasn't nothing nothing in there was about me so it wasn't that i had to have my hair done properly or you know had to dress up or you know anything like that or have a picture even to the to even to the extent for me it wasn't about even me having a picture with the deer. So so the picture that Mark took was I didn't even know he had taken it. And it literally was just me walking up to the deer and I just had my hand, mm-hmm. put my hand on the body of the deer and was just giving thanks for the deer at that point. And it was just interesting how, um, how you know, even there's even the sexiness of hunting in something that that you need to be so, have be so filled with gratitude for the animal, and I'm not saying that that in those other pictures those women weren't, but just it struck me personally that if your hair's perfect and all of that, and you're going out, it's kind of like what just for me. What is this about? Well, some people like to look at two set of racks on. And so, you know, and, and as now that I've, I've seen, I, cause I did, 
um, I get quite a few things on Instagram. And, uh, and it's quite a variety of women who are on there who are a, a little bit less about uh, what I perceive as a less about me and more about the animal. Um, so, yeah, I just found it really, really quite quite interesting and maybe because this was my first my first animal in the social media era mm. my other animal certainly I was in my my woolly wool pants and you know toque on my head and all that it wasn't about glamour then either <laughs> so it was just yeah I just found that really interesting yeah. so yeah, that's cool. and and for me too it was like moms who haunt it was it was really about the the idea of providing for the family, for our family, and that sort of thing, and yeah. And check your hashtags before you use them. And yeah. check your <laughs> hashtags before you use them. <laughs> for sure. Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, I had a good season too. It started out early this spring with a turkey. Uh, got a wild turkey on opening day, and then took uh, Clayton Lamb out. Um, later on in the season and he got his first wild turkey that was a pretty wild hunt we we talk about that hunt on uh, on episode one and um yeah ducks and geese this year um i did the nine days of the elk archery season with your with your dad um didn't get a didn't get a bull this year but um man it was just happening this year for for bull elk in the archery season it was like every single day we had bulls bugling we got in on bulls i had bulls over the course of the archery season uh at 15 yards 16 yards 10 yards and another one at 15 yards like just everything coming in close like everything worked but just not the exact position shooting lane everything that you needed for archery just didn't um but we had some your, your dad and i you know there was a group of us we were in on a big bull that was just like going nuts and you know your dad and i he was acting like a raghorn bull and i was a cow and we had this whole show going on we kept trying to close in on this bull and we were about an hour and a half you know in the forest with this bull as close as like you could hear him walking by you you just couldn't see him or get a clear shooting lane it was just everybody just had a had a magical experience wow. this year elk hunting in the mountains and it's funny because you know like i talked earlier in that cbc story talked about how the elk population here in our area in southeastern bc is like is down you know from the the inventory counts you know down 50 percent but the last few years of elk hunting in the archery season early archery have been the best i've ever had in my life like both uh -huh. in getting bulls getting in on bulls, having the experience with elk, bugling elk, and uh, I don't know if it's just we're locking out, we're finding them, and we know where to find them, and we know how to hunt them, or, you know, if there's areas that are still, you know, got better robust elk herds than other areas, but um, it can still, the elk hunting here can still be pretty darn good early yeah. in the year so yeah you guys are doing everything right it just didn't line up but oh it yeah. just yeah so, yeah my dad was just describing so many times where it was just you know if they were a foot away or foot to the right or to the left it would have been perfect yep but so yeah. um but that's archery hunting you gotta be uh you know if you're getting yourself into those positions then you know it's just a matter of time yeah. so our archery season is so short here it's nine days you go down into somewhere like montana it's the whole entire like september to like 
October 25th or something like that is their archery season for elk and then they open up their rifle season for late so um, yeah that'd be kind of cool maybe to have a longer archery season but last year you got was it the first day of the season yeah you got your elk yeah yeah four four hours into opening morning so wow. can't have that happen every year but no. <laughs> um be good if it did keep the freezer full of elk meat which would be pretty cool so well, you don't get much of the experience though if you just get in the first four hours <laughs> yeah. yeah then you yeah. just end up uh packing for everybody else yeah. um hey let's let's have a little bit of fun here we were talking earlier about hunting regulations and uh you know kind of the issue of using hunting regulations to manage wildlife but let's uh carly's carly's got a bunch of stuff flagged in our hunting regulations here in bc she's gonna throw some some questions out for us and listeners and see see how well we know the hunting regs okay well i'm gonna start with how well do you know your resource management regions in bc so there's nine of them but uh the ninth one is technically the eighth management region so Let's uh, start with one. Let's see what you guys know. Region one is Vancouver, Vancouver Island. Island. Mm-hmm. Two is Lower Mainland. Three is the Thompson. Yeah, because well, you just looked. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, okay, if you guys don't get number four, then you're not four allowed to live. Four, four is Kootenai. Kootenai. Yeah. Yeah. Where we are. <laughs> What's five? Five is... named after an animal is it caribou yep what six that's a skeena mm-hmm. seven a omnica piece mm, oh that's seven a and b but which one is a and which one is b omnica is a piece is b there you go number eight okanagan there you go okay so we got another hunting-related question here. So edible portions, it was just recently changed. Uh, you're required to carry out a little bit more meat than you were required to before. Uh, so what are the edible portions you're required to pack out of an animal, big game animal? Neck and ribs. Yep. Qu- all the quarters, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and organs. Nope. nope. Organs no. aren't no. edible portions. No. Well, they're they taste, are, but tasty not edible portions, but <laughs> legally. <laughs> legally, you don't have to. Yeah. That's one more. Yeah. So it's your rib meat, mm-hmm. your four quarters, your back straps, and neck. Mm, there's another word. Back straps. Loins. Loins. Back, back straps and loins. loins. Yep. Loins are on the inside. Back straps. Loins are. Well, yeah. if you get to pack out the ribs too, it's all it's all there, right? The rib meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the rib meat, the rib meat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, what is which? If you really want to know a super cool way of getting deboning rib meat off of an animal and keeping the whole entire rib meat in one slab, go check out Eat Wild BC, and Dylan has a video. And he's figured out how to get all the meat off of an animal's rib cage, and it's one slab of meat. It's pretty wow. cool. Wow. Rather than all these little strips. Well, wow. okay. Okay, next question. What is the legal tine restriction? What so, in order it? to qualify to make a tine, how long does it have to be? One inch 
and can't be wider than an inch at the base. If it's like it's got basically like an inch square. So get your metrics right here for metrics. what it says in the regs. Three centimeters. Two. Ooh. Three point five. Jeez, how are you guys hunters? <laughs> two point five. Two point five. Oh. It's two point five centimeters is an inch. Okay. There you go. But it says two point five in the regs here. So. Okay. Next question. What is the difference between a bag limit and your possession limit? Jake can answer this one. <laughs> <laughs> no looking. Your possession would be how many are in your possession. So you can have them in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A bag limit is bag a day. So Okay. So your possession would be you can take them home. Have you taken them home? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, you can take them you home. Can, you're allowed to take them home. <laughs> Um, so say you're on bag. a five-day hunt. Okay. You are allowed five grouse, uh, 15 possession limit. What does that yeah. mean? So your bag limit is how many you can get in a day. So five, yeah. Yeah, and then throughout the season you can catch the your possession limit, which is 15. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it yeah. varies between upland and waterfowl because you and I have had this discussion before and – waterfowl your possession limit like for for ducks your possession limit is 24 that includes when it's at home in your freezer grouse or other upland birds your possession limit is three times your daily bag limit but once you get it home in your freezer that resets yeah so at any given time in your freezer you can only have 24 ducks but you could have Way more, oh, way more grouse. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and speaking of grouse, you made that soup where you took all of the, the wings and the legs oh, yeah. of the grouse. And, this year. And yeah, people, uh, people rarely take w wings and legs off of a grouse. Yeah. And uh, I kept them all from, it was about 15 birds. Yeah, cooked them all, them all up. Did them all in one shot. And, it was and made a taco, huge, big, yeah. a taco soup. Taco soup. Spicy taco soup. Anyways, so yeah, so every part... That's uh, one of the great things, too, that, that uh, when you cut your own meat, it's like literally every part of the animal. However, the crazy thing about edible portions is it does not pertain to grouse or upland game birds. Yeah, they don't have four quarters. <laughs> <laughs> no, four equal quarters. That's why if we had a wanton waste law in British Columbia, then it would pertain to all harvested animals and retaining all edible mm -hmm. portions of meat as opposed to what we have now only pertains to big game animals. Mm -hmm. Next question. Okay, this has to do with sheep. So when you're aging a mountain sheep, you have to count the certain rings on the horns. What are those rings called? Annuli. Yeah, so what causes the annuli? They're essentially the growth rings at the base of the horn where it attaches to the skull, right? Yeah, yeah but it's found throughout the whole length of the horn, so... Yeah, so yeah, it starts... So it's, 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 each time it's the horn pushes out and stops. It like during its growing period, so it grows and then stops. Every year it grows and then stops. Every year it's not a continual yeah. growth. It grows and stops, grows and stops. Well, the annuli is, is basically like a very 
dense portion of the horn, which basically represents like the winter season. There's not a lot of growth going on there. There's not a lot of feeding. And then the, those big portions in between the years is represents like the summer so seasons like and they're eating a lot more and they've got a lot more nutrients. And so therefore they're growing a lot more than they would in the winter. Like the rings on a tree. Exactly. Yeah. Rings on the tree are made up of two types, early wood, late wood. The dark ring is formed in this when the tree is putting on less growth, thicker cells. And then the wide part of the ring is when the growth is good in the early part of the growing season. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, so next we're moving on to compulsory inspection. So in all, a lot of the different regions, you're required to compulsory inspect certain animals. However, there are four animals in BC, doesn't matter where you are in the province, if you get one, you have to compulsory inspect it. What are those four animals? Bighorn sheep. Yep. All mountain sheep. All, all, all mountain sheep? So mountain sheep. Okay. Mountain goats. Mountain goat. Cougars. 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 Last one. It was grizzly bear. Yeah, grizzly bear is no longer yeah. a hunt. So there's one more. Bobcat, thanks. Nope. Caribou. Yeah, caribou. caribou. Yeah. So there's lots of different compulsory inspection requirements in the different regions. and But if you are hunting either for those animals, regardless of where you are in BC, you are required to compulsory inspect them within 30 days of your kill. Cool. Okay. I have kind of a fun little one. It's not really something that most people will be using but can you guys hunt using a falcon or raptors is that legal true or false yes you can yeah it's you legal. can that's something not a lot of people know that is only if you have a valid possession permit though so you can't just go capture a raptor and make it hunt for you that's, <laughs> that's pretty illegal yeah. <laughs> on a number of different levels <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly uh so so how on earth does that even transpire? How do you even how do you get a falcon that you could then train to hunt for you? There are people around that have permits to be in possession of raptors to raise them um, for and breed, I believe, for, for the purpose of selling for falconry. Wow. Yeah. And so every once in a while they can when they go through all the hoops get permits to collect <coughs> mm. um from what i understand normally it's eggs um but they i'm not sure if they have permits to capture live birds but there used to be a two people here in these kootenays that had falconry permits mm. but yeah. i want to get a german short hair before i'm going to get a falcon for hunting yeah, yeah it's with be. your next wife <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's Whatever, what it <laughs> Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. There you go. <laughs> uh, What's so a really tough, like, ask a really tough question and we won't answer it and we'll leave it for our British Columbia hunters to. Okay, well, I don't know if this is a super tough one, but... Uh, are you required to carry a wolf tag when you are hunting a wolf if you are a non-resident? There you go. Hmm. 
All right. And we'll talk about that after the podcast is all (laughs) wrapped up and you can give us the answer for that too. (laughs) I know what the answer to it is. Um, Cool. Yeah. That'll maybe challenge listeners to go pick up the hunting regulations and have a look at what, uh, what's in there. Um, Cool. Hey, so looking forward to uh, hunting in 2020. Um, What are some things you're all thinking about that you'd like to do? Curtis? More ducks. (laughs) More ducks. So so more ducks or more time spent duck hunting or both like becoming a duck specialist? Well, I hit my possession limit. So I have 24 ducks in the freezer. So I can't get more ducks, but more time. In 2019. So when, uh, just a curiosity, when you get 24 ducks... That's it. If you eat three of them, I could go out and shoot three more. Yeah. Okay, that's okay. Yeah. So, so maybe that's what I need to do. I need to go out and I need to, I need to <laughs> eat some eat some ducks. Yeah, and eat some ducks. Except now, now but then, well, over, but right? then uh, within the duck regulations, you're you're there's different species where you're only allowed a maximum of yeah. so many oh, per okay. year. It's not okay. like pintails, harlequins, wood ducks. Yeah. So golden eyes. I think there's only those four that you're allowed two of instead of four. Yeah. For your uh, for your daily bag limit, anyways. Yes. It's so it's two pintails per day. Per day. So you could still have twenty four pintail, but you could only shoot two of them per day as opposed to eight. Is that true, Carly? Or or sorry, four. <laughs> for all for all other species, it's four. So you could shoot four mallards and four gadwalls and that would be your eight for the day eight for the day yeah. but you couldn't shoot eight mallards in a day because your maximum is four a day your maximum is four per yeah. species except for pintail which um, is two pintail wood duck harlequin and golden eyes which is two per day per day yeah okay so more more duck hunting i definitely want to do that too that's that's a goal i want to get more ducks in the freezer more ducks for sure. Well, in January, Jake and I are planning on going duck hunting in Vancouver Island. Yes. They, uh, their season's open till the end of January, so yeah. we're going to head out there and for sure. hopefully try to get some coastal ducks. Cool. So that's yeah. uh, in the works for, for sure. January. So that's a goal for 2020. Yeah. What, what else for 2020? What do you... Um, I'm wanting to acquire more and more gear. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good goal. That's, that's my biggest goal right that's now. A good goal. It's my biggest hurdle as well. <laughs> Getting all the gear, we're looking at rifles and backpacks and everything that goes into it. Um, I want to, you know, elk hunting is something that's always interested mm-hmm. me. I've been when I was younger, I went out on some hunts, but I'd love to get out there and elk hunt for sure. Um, in the when the season comes about yeah yeah uh, that's got the whole yeah. element of calling which adds a whole yes another layer of yes. fun yeah absolutely uh, cool. of course the white tail again this year maybe mule deer um yeah well and this we'll, fall yeah. will be a little bit different for both of you because you'll both be out of school so school. you may have more time in the fall may not but um and we will we will start our whitetail hunt on the seventeenth of November. <laughs> I'm still feeling good about the week before. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna stick with yeah. that early week. Yeah, I'm gonna go stick with it. Carly, what 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 are some goals you have for 2020? Well, if it's feasible, I would love to go up to Haida Gwaii and just kind of do a little bit of everything, like the the Sitka blacktail there. 
you're allowed five per day. And apparently they are just the best tasting deer in all of BC because yeah. they eat that wild salal all year round. So apparently they have just the, the best tasting meat. So I really want to yeah. go do that. And then, of course, going on the coast and clamming and crabbing and fishing and collecting those huge salmon berries and just spending like two or three weeks up there doing a whole whack of stuff. I'd love to be able to pull that off or even one week. Yeah. I'd love to be able to go up there. Yeah, we got a bunch of steelhead fishing planned in the new year mm-hmm. on, the, on the island as well. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we can plan up to, if I go back to Hidegawai, maybe we can drive um, drive home after and spend some time on uh, Hidegawai. Yeah, I'd yeah. love to be up yeah. there. Mm, cool. Yeah. yeah. So, if that's feasible. Aaron? What are my goals? I don't know. I kind of follow you around. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> My my goal is more hunting gear too. So, well, and and on that note, you will have a budget this year. So I guess my question for you is, how is that going? Having a budget, it's and uh, going awesome. <laughs> it's going awesome. See, Jake and I aren't married yet, so his money's his money. So yes, I can still he's got to ream it in all quick before yeah. that happens. <laughs> yeah, I just bought that mystery ranch uh, Marshall backpack. Is that, nice. is that to replace the one that you borrowed from me? <laughs> br- broke? Did it break? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and you know what? Uh, as much as, as I have enjoyed uh, being out there and being very thankful for the animals that our family harvests, uh, for me, the ultimate is just being out there gathering huckleberries morels um when you talk about the salmon berries on Haida Gwaii you know um the um Oregon grape that we did made the chutney um the rose hips and uh even the juniper berries right using those juniper berries and cooking to me that is what I want to do is more of more of that and that doesn't mean that I wouldn't do any more hunting but that gathering part is just a, a connection. We want to learn more about mushrooms. We see all this stuff in social media where people are just like all these different mushrooms out there and they're just like, wow, there's this bounty yeah. out there. And it's like, I know two kinds. Yeah, you definitely yeah. want to be pretty accurate. Morels and shaggy beans. Beyond that, I'm like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I need somebody to help us out here. But yeah, mushroom, so mushroom we'll picking would be fun. That, I hope That'd be a goal. maybe that's a podcast you can do is find somebody who knows about mushrooms. A mycologist, is that what they are? I think so, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll search down a mycologist and get them to help us out. And and with all that gathering as well, you know what? We get to take puppies with us, and they're not good bush dogs, and they're not good they pointers. They eat the huckleberries, and, and they slobber <laughs> all over them, yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> but they love being out there, and, you know, Puke them up Mr. Bob is white, and so he, he comes back purple. <laughs> comes back back purple. purple yeah. and, and, they, uh, and then it's just like having a couple of bears in the yard for the next few days. So, yeah. Uh, no. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to set goals for yourself in, you know, in hunting and the types of things that you want to do if it's a passion that you have um it's 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 so easy to let things slip by in your life and always i mean everything is and always put it off and say you'll do it another time you'll do it another time um and then all of a sudden you're like 53 years old and it's like 
you know, um, you realize a lot of decades went by and you didn't go back up north hunting um, or, you know, you, you, you sort of think how many more trips into the mountains can I go and spend two days trying to get an elk out and that sort of thing. And so, um, you know, if this is what you love to do, um, set some goals for 2020, like, I mean, and be specific, like, what do you want to do when, um, do something new, go somewhere you've never been before, uh, making an adventure. Uh, there's a lot of people are really, you know, using hunting as an opportunity of just for exploration and adventure. Right. And, and, um, you know, go, go do something new. If you're not a hunter and you're interested in getting into it, the best time to do it is right now. Get yourself some hunter training course wherever you are in Canada and just, just get into it. Um, don't delay. Don't put things off in your life. I certainly regret not doing a lot of things earlier in my life, like making more trips to northern BC to hunt. I really regret not not doing that. Um, it's harder. It's more expensive now. So if you're thinking about it, if you're on the fence, just go do it. Start planning it right now. Um, talk to your wife or your spouse about a budget. Um, Two thousand a month <laughs> should be good. <laughs> at min- you can that's, get by. That's when you're single. You can get by on two thousand a month. You know, uh, for for meeting your hunting goals. Um and. Uh, you know, one of the goals you should set for 2020 is uh, get involved in conservation. Um, join an organization uh, in your province or your territory, somebody that's involved um, politically, that's talking to leaders, that's talking to wildlife managers, that's on the pulse of conservation um, uh, and conservation science and improving wildlife management and funding for wildlife management. Um, just join. If you do nothing else, just search out an organization and join because your membership uh, carries a lot of clout um, politically when uh, these organizations are meeting with elected officials now. So um, keep it simple and uh, do something new. Hunting, get involved in hunting or join an organization. Um, for the hunter conservationists coming up in 2020, um, uh, we're looking at getting uh, into producing some films. Um, yeah. You know, get a YouTube channel going, maybe some uh, day-by-day hunts like Randy Newbird does. People seem to like those. They're a lot of, lot of fun, um, easy to do. Um, bit of a teaser here. We haven't officially announced it, but um, the Hunter Conservationist podcast, uh, Eat Wild BC, the Rookie Hunter, and Chasing Food Club, along with uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, uh, got a special event coming up in Vancouver in January um so watch social media if you follow those those other people keep keep tabs uh we'll be announcing that pretty quick pretty excited to be uh working with all of them on on this is going to be a a cool event and um hey if you've got some Christmas money or a budget and uh you want some merch uh Hunter Conservationist has got a store up on our website thehunterconservationist.com and you can get yourself a hat or t-shirt and um, that tops up my budget every month for hunting gear. (laughs) Pays pays for the merch. (laughs) (laughs) And and we will see you all in uh, episode 14. Comes out on the 15th of January which will be uh, on wildlife health with a pretty cool veterinarian here in the province and uh, thanks for joining us in this uh, chit chat. Reflect on uh, 2019 and uh, hey, get out there and set your hunting goals for 2020. 
see you in the next episode